welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today we have a very special guest whose name will be familiar to many of our listeners. He's David Allen, the best-selling author of Getting Things Done. Thank you, Tom. I'd like to welcome David Allen to the show. Our audience is going to be extremely interested in his topic. He's the author of a book called Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. And he's a world-renowned speaker. He is in 73 countries. He's going to tell us how to get started. His approach is different. And he's been remarkably approachable. He has been very committed to helping people get things done. And he's on a mission, and it actually changed my entire trajectory of my practice. And I'll explain that as we go along in the show. But I'd like to welcome David to the, to the uh, program. And uh, David, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thanks, David. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, and delighted to hang out with you and Tom. Sure. Yeah. So your approach is different. <clears throat> and I'm just curious, in the, what year did you actually start getting things done? I began doing the learning and applying some of the, the core uh, principles and techniques, 1982, 83. Okay. And I'm curious because it really is a different book. So I like to just work backwards a little bit. And I had always thought that being organized was just an inherent trait. And when I came out of residency, it's a very structured world. And you don't have to actually be that organized. You're just trying to survive the day. But I also realized that just good patient service was returning phone calls, making sure test results weren't missed, and just getting organized. And I read one organiz organizational book that was good for a couple of years, helped me out a lot. I don't remember exactly how I ran across your book, but it's really a distinctly different process and allowed me to run a career well, did not miss test results, was able to talk to patients really quickly and easily. But I'd like to just, if you give us three or four things that are different about your approach compared to other organizational systems. Well, there are many ways to spin that one, David. I, one way I say it is that, you know, my methodology starts with where you are, not with where you should be. Right. So, you know, most, everybody's got enough shoulds in their life. Right. You know, and, and everybody's already filled to the brim with too much to do, too many opportunities, the stress of opportunity and the stress of, uh, and other stresses as well. And so uh, what my methodology is about is working with current reality okay. and getting current reality under control. Okay. So a lot of people, you should have a vision, you should have a mission, you should have, you know, your purpose and your values clear. I agree. However, trying to do that when your day-to-day -day is out of control is going to create nothing but guilt and frustration. Right. So you need to get whatever the day-to-day -day means. A day-to-day -day means very different things for different people. It means different things for a 10-year-old than it does for a CEO, than it does for a stay-at-home dad, than it does for a, a clergyman or whatever. But the day-to-day -day is still the day-to-day. -day. And if that is out of control and you're not stable and balanced and have enough bandwidth left in your head, to focus creatively or strategically or whatever, then um, that doesn't work very well. Right. I have to admit, I'll admit to your listening audience right now, I have never had a formal traditional course in time management, psychology, or business. Everything that I came up with was street smarts. 
was done because I needed it for myself as my life was getting more complex and my you know, small little consulting practice that I started with back in the early 1980s. Right. I was looking for tools and techniques that helped me stay clear because I had a background in meditation and martial arts. And so I'd learned the value of clear space in your head right. to be able to then tackle tough things, to be able to you know, deal with pain, to be able to deal with a lot of stuff, you know, just being present. Well, the mindfulness people, they've made that quite popular these days, you know, but I learned it 35 years ago. You know, what was your martial arts background? I, I had forgotten about that. Karate. Yeah, I got a black belt in karate in my oh, 20s. Do. Okay. Yeah, I did. Because I know the last few years that, that philosophy seems to be more apparent, but I've forgotten that you actually had started with that. Um, so I agree that most real changes come from outside the box. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've noticed that, that major changes really occur not necessarily within think tanks, but people that, that need a problem solved and they simply solve it. And, that, and I think I like the street smart concept a lot. Take the situation chronic pain. And if you might know chronic pain, people are trapped. They're trapped by their pain. They're trapped by being disability. They're the mercy of claims examiners. The physicians aren't telling them what to do. And it becomes a very reactive world. And it's not that much fun. In fact, it's really unpleasant. So you might know from looking at my work a little bit that stress isn't the problem as much as the chemical reaction to it. When your body's full of adrenaline, cortisol, and histamines, why you feel anxious. And anxious is just that word that describes your body's chemical state. When you're lying on the beach in the sun, you're full of oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, you feel relaxed. And that body chemistry really determines your state of mind. So there is stress and then there's a response to the stress, but there's also the part of the process where actually taking the chaos in your life and starting to organize it does reduce the stress. That's a key issue in this whole process. And that's where in the process I go through, we have learning about chronic pain, we learn about anger and forgiveness and letting it go. But in the third stage, your book is the core part of the process of taking what you learn to calm down the nervous system and actually start executing because we find out that the solution for chronic pain isn't actually solving the pain because the focus is on this problem, not the solution. Well, you know, it, another thing that's sort of, I guess, unique about, about uh, my approach or this methodology itself. And by the way, I didn't so much make it up as I recognized what it is that we do when we get ourselves in control and stable. And, and so each one of the techniques, and we can talk about that in, you know, in more detail later on, but each one of the techniques is the techniques everybody's already familiar with. It's how, okay. you get your kitchen, how you get your kitchen under control, how you get a meeting under control, how you get all kinds of things under control. And you actually don't have to like your life to get it under control. So I'm not a happy, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a happy purveyor. I mean, happiness is fine, but happiness goes up and down. Right. What I'm in, what my methodology does is it puts you in the driver's seat. So you describe people who are feeling victims and being reactive and you don't have to like the pain, but you can get in the driver's seat about it, as you know. So, you know, it's, it's all it is, is a signal to you. And the signal oftentimes people will then collapse based upon that signal. But sometimes people say, wait a minute, that's a message. What do I need to do? Where, do, how would I like to feel? What would I need to do to get there? So I'm right. not, I'm not Mr. Pollyanna. As right. a matter of fact, one of my favorite new uh, books that I read, I recommend to anybody. It's called um, The Antidote. 
you know, I think I may have mentioned that in a phone call to you by uh, Oliver Berkman. It's the subtitles, happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. <laughs> and, My, you know, the, the, back to the point is that this, this deals a lot with what are you dealing with and outcome and action then become the core elements of this. What are you after? How would you like to feel? What do you think you might need to do that you can control and do that might move you toward that end? And it puts people back in the driver's seat. And being in the driver's seat, interestingly enough, David, you know, uh, uh, sent me high, the guy who wrote Flow, you know, about that was totally surprised in his early research. He thought people would move into the flow state in their relaxed recreational personal time. Right. And, wrong answer. It turned out that people actually move more into flow at work when they're engaged, when they're involved, when they're active, not necessarily of stuff they would consider the most fun things in their life, but the things that actually, you know, triggered them to get in the driver's seat and take control, like driving a car or riding a bike or doing something like that, as opposed to just being passive. So I think that's a lot of, you know, yes, my stuff has a, a, a key organizational component. That's not just rearranging piles of stuff. Right. Part of the organization is how do I organize my thinking in an appropriate way? Well, I've, I have a little mantra I say to myself is that you have to dig deeper to reach higher. And I think from my perspective, what you've taught me through your lectures and books, et cetera, is to literally just dig down and just get stable and just put a deep foundation in for moving forward. And so we'll talk about the details a little bit later, but I really want to talk about the whole bottom-up approach. One thing I'd like for you to discuss is you talk about the hard drive versus the RAM metaphor as far as mm -hmm. what you're doing with your to-do list? Yeah, well, most people are using their head as their office and your head is just a really crappy office. You know, cognitive science now has come up with what I discovered just on the street 30 years ago, which is your head is not designed to remember, remind, prioritize, manage relationships between more than four things. That's it. This is new cognitive science research and data. Your brain did not evolve to do any of that. Your brain evolved to do brilliant stuff. Everybody listening to this, you're doing it right now. That is, you're using long-term history and pattern recognition to say, oh, that's a radio, or that's a phone, or that's a person, that's a thing, as opposed to that's just vibrations of light and sound that have no meaning to me. So your brain evolved to survive, to recognize tigers and thunderstorms and berries in a bush and your baby crying and things like that. But that's all from the limbic part of your brain, which is totally present has no sense of past or future. It's totally present right now. You know, the, the forebrain right. that, that evolved later on is the one that plans, that thinks, that, uh, that, that has a sense of past or future, has a sense of here's what I want to do, I can't do yet, and, you know, does all that good stuff that the right. cognitive brain does. But it still was not designed to remember, remind. So the whole idea is building the external brain so that your brain is freed up from trying to do something it doesn't do very well at all. And your mind actually has no sense of past or future. So if, it, if stuff is banging around in your head, you know, and that's the only place of the would, could, shoulds, need tos, ought tos, if that's the only place you've got it, if you can't finish the moment you think of it, there's a part of you that thinks you should be doing that all the time. I see. And of course you can't do more than one thing at a time. So it's automatically stressful to keep stuff in your head that you know you should do, you can't do in the moment. So I just, and this is just, it's just mechanical. It's, it's subtle, but it's just a mechanical process. Everybody listening to this at some point felt overwhelmed and confused and sat down and made a list and felt better. Right. Right. And if they reverse engineered how that happened, they never keep anything in their head the rest of their life. And I don't. Can you explain that? 
Well, why should, if, if, if getting stuff out of your head makes you feel more in control, more focused, more clear, why the hell would you keep anything in your head? Duh. You know? Well, you use an analogy of the computer hard drive that you're essentially taking your to-do list or your life and putting it on the hard drive. Then each week, then each day, you decide what you want in the RAM or the working right. memory. Yeah. Well, you bring out the, actually <laughs> what you want to do. See, here's a big key. And don't tell anybody, you know, listening to this, this major, <laughs> major secret about getting things done. It's not so much about getting things done so much as it's about being appropriately engaged with all of your commitments in life so you're totally present with whatever you're doing. Okay. It happens to be the most productive state and the healthiest state to operate from when you're just present. You know, the yogis teach themselves to be present by focusing on breathing and doing all kinds of things. That's why they stick needles in themselves and not feel the pain or not at least experience, they then experience pain as sensation, not as pain. Right. Pain, pain comes from the ego because the ego is based on past and future. If you to get totally present, you can experience pain as sensation. I'm not saying that's easy, but it is something you can actually train yourself to do. And I'm just curious with your martial arts background, have you had some success in training yourself to do that? Yeah, you get kicked in the wrong place really hard. I guarantee you, you learn to focus on your breathing really fast. I got you. <laughs> I mean, essentially, I like to go back to the positive thinking because I've said this for a long time. What got me in deep, deep trouble personally was positive thinking. And I was a fearless spine surgeon, and my goal in life was the way my positive thinking came to the form of just bring it on. I can take on any stress, any time, any place. And I was a master at suppressing everything. And so I was a positive thinker. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Then all of a sudden, at age 39, I went from a fearless surgeon to crippling anxiety in one day, I had a panic attack. And for the next 15 years, it was just sort of a nightmare trying to put that back into the bottle. And so the positive thinking, you know, as you know, humans, I call the curse of consciousness, humans can't escape through thoughts. There's lots of research done on obsessive thought patterns, unpleasant repetitive thoughts, which is called URTs in the research. So whether you suffer, suppress, or mask these thoughts, they continually torture you. So positive thinking is a way of suppressing all of that. And it's a bit of a problem. The other thing that positive thinking does, there's a little book out called Rethinking Positive Thinking, is that you have this big vision, positive thinking, that positive vision actually substitutes for reality. You actually don't do it. It's interesting. You well, just, you, it depends. You know, I, I understand all that. And by the way, you'd love Oliver's book because, okay. and by the way, he's a GTDer, it turns out. I, I interviewed him. Um, but that, that's the whole point is the way out is through. So you don't get rid of that stuff by trying to ignore it or suppress it. You actually jump into it and then get out the other side of it. You know, and it's, it, he talks a lot about the Stoics, which I, hadn't, I wasn't that familiar with, but a lot of Stoicism really was, it was based. A lot of people think that's asceticism, but it's not really really more the acceptance of reality. Okay. Acceptance is the first law. Anything you do, you know, it's like what you resist, you're stuck with, you know, which is another way of saying what you said. Right. So, you know, the way to get through it is to acknowledge it. You need to acknowledge it. You don't have to like it. Right. But you need to acknowledge it and then say, okay, now what? And then it gives you a base of reality where you're operating from a real base as opposed to some fanciful base. And I'm not against positive thinking. I've you know, built my life on affirmations and visualization and ideal scenes. My whole life, has been, I've been doing that for 35, 40 years. Right. So I'm, I, I'm not against that. 
Right. Because having a vision is really cool. And everybody's got a vision. Everybody's got a vision right now. It's how you get out of a room. You see right. yourself out of the room and then you go execute on your picture. Right. Right. So that's, we're, you, you're teleological. You can't stop. You can't stop focusing. You can't stop visioning. You actually can't even stop planning. You're doing right. it all the time. You would just want to do it so it works for you as opposed to works against you because you can't stop it. But going back to the first part of the conversation, if the room is so cluttered you can't move, the vision doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, your vision becomes then a vision of, you know, the negative demons, you know, that are, that are coming at you. So right. you can't stop visioning, but those are not necessarily positive visions. People think right. one affirmation is going to change your life. Yeah, but the, the rest of the day you're doing about 49,999 negative pictures. Oh, right. this will never work. Oh, this is a bunch of hooey. You know, I could never do anything like that. So right. you set yourself up for failure that way, unless you keep executing on it and stay engaged, you know, in some sort of a positive focused way. Well, one of the problems is I wrote a little website post called your personal brain scanner. And I've talked to Dr. Fred Luskin, who wrote the book called forgive for good, who's become a good friend of mine. And his point out that the human body's first, first job is to survive. And so if things are good and you're relaxed, your brain's automatically scanning the environment for danger. That's what it's supposed to do, is keep you alive. And once you acknowledge that, and you can sort of deal with that and be with it, then you actually start, again, moving through the pain, moving through the chaos is really the solution. And I've talked about this for a long time, that the only thing that's real is you and I talking. It's about connected and engaged thinking. And of course, People in chronic pain are justifiably upset because they really are victims. And of course, the more legitimate your victimhood, the harder to let it go. Also, the faster your mind spins. And one thing that strikes about your process was interesting. You're sort of calming things down. You're taking control of multiple variables. And when your brain's spinning, you can't really focus on one thing. But your process allows people to start picking up things in a granular level to start slowing the whole process down. Remember, one of the antidotes to anxiety is control, and what you're doing, you're giving people control of their current environment right there in front of them to help calm things down. And anxiety, from the neuroscience standpoint, is the pain. I mean, it just says danger. It's just that sensation is, okay, there's something threatening me, either perceived or real. It says danger, and it helps you take some action to control the situation, and then the anxiety drops. Again, the anti one of the antidotes things already is control, and with the getting things done process does, it starts to give you control of that chaos right there in front of you. I'm also curious over the years, how, if you think back 35 years to now, what are some of the changes in your thinking compared to when you first started, or is it just more or less evolved to deepening your concepts? Yeah, the latter, more than anything else. Nothing's really changed. Once I, you know, I learned it helps to get things out of your head. That'll be true 2,000 years from now. Right. Right. That's not, that, that doesn't change. It really helps to decide when something has your attention, what's the action step needed to move, to, to change it to where you want to go and where's done. I mean, getting things done, what does done mean and what does doing look like and where does it happen? Right. And those are two things that nobody really wants to answer automatically. You have to train yourself. It's a cognitive muscle to train to think about outcome and action. I right. think it should be self-evident. And it is self-evident when you're in a crisis mode, when you're in survival mode. Wow, there's a tiger. I'm going to run. I want to live. What's the next step? Climb the tree. Got right. it. 
right? So it happens, you know, you do that anyway. Most people will come up with, but if it's, should I get divorced? Do I, should I hire the vice president of marketing? What about this tooth that needs fixing? You know, th those are the things people would then sit and be bothered by as opposed to what's the action, what's the outcome? Right. After what do you, what do you want to have true if you don't like it or you want it different than it, than it is? And understood that can get pretty challenging when the situation, you know, with the kind of, of, of situations that you certainly have found people in given your job and your work, you know, but it still is the same thing. It doesn't, it doesn't negate the process just because it's hard right. or, or, or challenging or unfamiliar really more than anything else. You can actually train yourself just to make that a habitual thing to do. I'm sure you train yourself to do what now? You can make it a habitual way to think about stuff when the surprise happens, when the crap hits the fan, when something happens like that, you can actually train yourself at that point to say, okay, wait a minute, take a breath, get present. What do I want to have true? What's the next thing I need to do to move the needle toward that? Right. Because it won't happen by itself automatically. Right. You actually have to train yourself to do that, you know, in the more proactive way. Right. Well, this has been great. I just want to summarize <clears throat> some things that you've said. I mean, your process evolved basically from your own needs and basically is, is, is pretty brilliant. I mean, I can't come close to giving, um, to really portraying the concepts in his book. A lot of them are very um, hard to put into words, but it's a great process. And the bottom line is that you're taking your to-do list and putting it out of your brain and on, a, on sort of a hard drive. Then you make a choice of what to do. And then in ways about outlook and connecting to what is, the idea is you clear the deck so you can move forward. And we'll talk about this in the second half at some of the actual practical things to do to actually make these things happen. But if you're in chronic pain, you learn some concepts, and you actually, the, my book's just a book, the website's just a website, but until you actually learn the tools, actually calm down your nervous system and move forward, nothing's gonna happen. And one of the most basic tools is actually getting organized, it's a learned skill, then you can start moving forward away from your pain. Um, any other well, thoughts on that, David? Let me insert something before we get go to the techniques. I think another thing, really important thing, and one of the things that that it, it was a way that I re-understood or perhaps re have re-expressed the real value of this methodology is you don't need time, you need space. It doesn't have any time to have it, doesn't take time to have a good idea. Right. It doesn't take any time to be creative, it doesn't take any time to be strategic, it doesn't take any time to be present or loving. Right? Those don't require time. That most people yet most people would say those are kind of the golden goodies of life, being able right. to be have be strategic be present loving uh, you know be innovative all that good stuff doesn't require time but it does require something very important that you don't necessarily have and that's room so you've been talking around it in that way it's kind of like i need space i need the space to be able to think be able to stay present with what i'm doing to be able to focus on this thing i need to focus on instead of the six billion demons that are you know running through my head right what this does is it, and yes, you can focus on your breathing to get you present, but if you still need cat food, cat food's still going to pop into your head. Right. You need to put, right. buy cat food on your hard drive. And then when you go out for errands, take a look. Oh yeah, I need cat food. God, you know, right. then it's off your mind. So I just discovered the algorithm about how do you get stuff off your mind without having to finish it. Right. Exactly. I mean, people have, in my life, and it's pretty insane, <clears throat> full-time spine surgeon, written three books, all sorts of stuff. But one thing your technique absolutely taught me is that 
when I take a break, I take a break. Like even if even if it's ten minutes, my I've actually stopped, and I can actually be in that in that ten minutes. And creating that space is a huge point, and and I would completely agree with that. Well, but, you, as I say, you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what you're not doing. You know, I love taking uh, naps, but there's a power nap and there's a, the escape nap. The okay. power nap. The power nap looks at the 642 things I could be doing now, and I go, no, I'm going to take a nap. That's a power nap. Right. Or power beer or power whatever it is you want to do, as opposed right. to, oh, my God, I got so much stuff to do, and I'm not sure what it all is. I need to numb myself out or just go unconscious. That's a right. different nap, not, a, not right. nearly as healthy. So, yeah, it's really being aware of the gestalt of your commitments and where you have placed your, your cognitive energy and commitments is just really critical in order to be able to not do them to your point to really take a break. Right. Well, thank you very, very much for this insight. Really remarkable. And we will do another podcast here in a few minutes on the actual techniques that you recommend to actually make some of the things happen. But anyway, appreciate you uh, talking to us very much. Sure thing. Well, I want to thank you, David and David, for really an absolutely fascinating insight into how we get things done. I'm sure our listeners are, are equally fascinated by it and want to learn more about the techniques in the next podcast. And I want to remind our listeners that to join us again next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And for more information, visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.